Ezekiel chapter 38. Ezekiel being an exilic prophet, if you want to call him that, pre-exilic, possibly Jeremiah. Post-exilic would be the last three prophets of the Old Testament. But during the exile of when Israel was exiled to Babylon, etc. So he was, uh, during that time, he was taken captivity either 605 or 597, and of course in Jerusalem fell in 586, and then the captivity started about 605 to 535 BC. After the captivity, the Israel no longer struggled with idol worship, and so we have uh, Ezekiel uh, 38. We find then that this is the northern confederacy. It is called, it is a time in the future, uh, I don't think it's in a very much distant future. It is going to be a group of nations that ride into, uh, not, I said it right, ride into Israel to demolish them, to take a, uh, the, the spoil, the booty, if you would, and then God is going to deal with them at the end of the chapter and in chapter 39. This morning, though, we see the, uh, the adversary of Russia, or the Russian adversary, if you want to call it that, if you want to take notes there on the back of your bulletin, the Russian adversary says in 38.1 of Ezekiel, and the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog in the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. By the way, a bad thing, I would say, terribly bad thing, when God says, I am against thee, and I will turn thee back and put hooks in thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia and Ethiopia and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his bands, the house of Togarma, Bethlehem, Beth Torgarma, if you would, house of Beth, and so house of Torgarma and the northern quarters and all his bands and many people with thee. Be thou prepared and prepare for thyself. Thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, be thou a guard unto them. It's interesting, God's telling the bad guys, if you would, to be prepared to do what God has going to have them to do. And after many days, thou shalt be visited. Speaking of Israel now, verse 8, In the latter years thou shalt come unto the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, which have been always waste, but is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely, all of them. Back to the bad guys. Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land, thou and all thy bands, and many people with thee. Thus saith the Lord God, Adonai, Yahweh, it shall also come to pass that at the same time shall things come into thy mind, and thou shalt think an evil thought, and thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages, I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls, and having neither bars nor gates, to take a spoil. And to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited, and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations, which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land. Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish, with all the young lions thereof, shall say unto thee, Thou art come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey? To carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to take a great spoil? But they will not do anything. They will say, Are you going to do that? But they will not join in. 14. Therefore, son of man, Ezekiel, prophesy and say unto Gog, Thus saith the Lord God, In the day when my people of Israel dwell in safety, thou shalt not know it. And thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts, thou and many people with thee, all of them riding upon horses, a great company and a mighty army. And thou shalt come up against my people Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the latter days, and I will bring thee against my land that the heathen may know me. 
when I shall be sanctified in thee, O Gog, before their eyes. May the Lord is bleeding, reading to the re, bless his reading, bless his word, reading of his word to our hearts. Let us pray together. Lord, we're just thankful that your word is the same. You are always the same. Lord, help me to stop stumbling. May I speak clearly. And may your word go forth with power. Forgive me of sin, empty me of self. Please fill me with your spirit. May we understand more after we leave. May your Holy Spirit teach us all. Teach me that I can help others. So, Lord, I pray that you help me today. Be with those teaching downstairs. Thank you that we have children in the service today. Lord, bless us. Uh, we pray, even though, our, bless our country, even though we are so far from you, may we repent, may we return to you. May we as churches, pastors, may we get serious about your word and the truthfulness of it and declare with love and clarity your word to an increasingly lost generation. So Lord, bless me today, please. Help me today. I can't do it without you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we've talked about, in the past couple of weeks, last time we talked about... Uh, Matthew chapter 24, and what's going to happen there, all the precursors to this. So we find this is the last times. This has not happened yet, but that it could happen is clear because Israel is in the land. Russia is still a nation. They have returned in unbelief, yes, but they are there, and, and there could be this group of people who are following Russia. If you just noticed this week alone, there's been the hecat over our, we in America are wondering if Iran, who's going to send ballistic missiles to Russia to work over Ukraine. And so Russia, Iran, and Turkey have out now all joined hand in hand, three of the nations, the three primary nations pictured here in our text in your map that are going to come together and go against Israel. They are hand in hand now, surprisingly enough, but they are. Iran, up until 1979, was a friend of Israel. Then there was the revolution, and now they are, if you ask Israelites today, who's the number one enemy likely of the Israel nation, would say Iran. And so that's where we are. We are, we are living biblical history as we are, as, as we speak, as we sit here in Greenup County. Now, I don't see Greenup County anywhere in the Bible. We are far away from the center point of the universe, which is Israel and the nation of Israel, Jerusalem particularly. There's going to be a coalition in chapter 38 that are come, going to come down together and they're going to work together and they're going to come down and with the purpose of running roughshod over Israel and acquiring all the Israeli wealth. That's what they want to do. That's my take on why they're coming. Why is Russia need money? Because their economy, is, I just read an article I mentioned last week, I think it was, where the, the, the leaders of a Russian economy and the business people are waiting for the Russian economy to collapse as are, I think, probably most American business people, for the, Russian, the American economy to collapse when our debt finally comes due. In our great, 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 great grandchildren's lifetime, if God tarries his coming, you think, I, I'm not, I mean, how, how can we handle, what is it, 31, 32 trillion dollars? We can't even pay the interest on our debt. But God is still in control. So don't let the negatives of the world encumber you so much you cannot enjoy serving God now. This is this isn't worse as it gets as it gets for the Christian, for we're going to a land where there's gonna be joy and happiness and peace and contentment and service for God. Well, Israel's back in the land. May of nineteen forty eight. 
the very next day they've been at battle since the very next day after they became a nation, they, a, a huge army came to wipe them off. You would think the people would go back in history and see that every time someone comes against Israel, it's just a bad choice. Isn't it interesting, we just read it, just, uh, just thinking about this now, how that God puts into the mind, and God tells them what's going to happen. And perhaps, uh, it would almost say in verse 4, they put hooks in their jaws, God's going to draw, perhaps they don't want to come necessarily, because they know what's going to, listen, they've read God's word most likely. Israel's read God's word. They know, they're preparing for this battle, I imagine, well, I just heard, yes they are. They know what's going to happen. So imagine, Russia, do you want to go to a battle you know you're going to lose? That five-sixths of your army at least are going to be destroyed? Do you, do you want to do that? You, I just don't really want to do that. Don't really want, and there's, well, we need, a, we need a, one person in charge of the nation of Russia. Got that? Check. Israel's in the land. Check. Russia hates Israel. Check. Iran hates Israel. Check. Turkey hates Israel. Check. All the people around are Israel. Check, 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 check. We, we are ready for it to happen. By the way, it says in chapter, I'm, I know I'm skipping ahead, but uh, just to keep it all in sequence, in chapter 39, it takes them seven years to burn the instruments of war. So I think at the very latest, this has to happen with the start of the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation, because come the end of the tribulation, Russia is not going to be a power. Nobody's going to be a power, for God himself is going to come and clean house. And only those who have trusted Christ as Savior are going into the thousand-year reign of Christ. So if you put this way in the middle of the tribulation time, you've got Israel burning instruments of war all the way into the millennium. I think, it's, I think you can't do that. I think this happens between the rapture and the start of the tribulation. You say, well, pastor, I thought the, the rapture starts the tribulation. No, clearly in Daniel, the tribulation starts, the 70th week of Daniel starts when there's a treaty signed between the Antichrist, the beast, if you would. I think there's about 31 names for him in Scripture. He's the one who's going to be the evil man of sin, pictured in Antiochus Epiphanes in 164 B.C. Pictured, if you would, a little bit in Judas. But he's going to be in charge. So he's going to make a treaty with Israel. Like, you can just imagine if, as the Scripture says, this huge group comes in and they're done, decimated by God, by the hailstones, by the earthquake, by all these things, people might want to start making a treaty with Israel. And you know what Israel's going to do? They're going to start building what? The third temple. They've already got the Sanhedrin in order. They've already got all the stuff inside prepared. They could probably build it in a very, very short time. But it's a it has to be done by the middle of the tribulation period because the Antichrist goes into there and offers a pig or something on the altar, the abomination of desolation, Daniel 9, Matthew 24, 15, and he breaks his treaty. And in the last three and a half years, I think that is the great tribulation, personally. Happens, the time of Jacob's trouble happens, and we'll get that another day. Here we're waiting for, an, probably I would say, the next big incident. Now, it's a pretty big incident right now going on in the world regarding Israel and, and Hamas. The hostage Is the hostage still going on? The hostage exchange is still going on? I think day, this is day three, I think, of the hostage exchange. So we see the Russian adversary. And if you want a further outline, we see number one is Almighty God in verse 1. 
and the word of the Lord. Now, when you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, you should immediately, from this day forward, what does that word mean for God? That's Yahweh. The tetragrammaton, it is called, Y-H, Y-W-H-W, Yahweh, or H-W, I can't Y-H-W-H, that would be right. And Jehovah, J-H-W-H, Jehovah, V-H, Jehovah. So that's the, the name for God, his intrinsic name, who he really is. I should study that further and get those letters exactly right. But we have it, Yahweh and Jehovah. They put the, the vowel points in there. Otherwise, it's just consonant letters. That's who he is. So this is the almighty God. And he is going to restore Israel one day. We understand that. But here in this text, he's speaking to Ezekiel. And Ezekiel is called Son of Man. That's a unique title for the Messiah in the New Testament, Son of Man. Matter of fact, we might say that's even the theme of the Gospel of Luke. But here it's just to differentiate between Son of Man and a prophecy from God. Because the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. And what a fantastic prophecy it is. By the way, the fulfilling of prophecies predicted in Scripture should just be one more tick. God's word's true. Tick, tick. God's word's true. Everything. What other book in the world can accurately predict prophecy from time past? Has already had numerous fulfilled exactly as it is said. So it gives us confidence that exactly as it's going to be done as it says for the future. There's but one book, and I was reading about the Islamic religion, how they know deep down that Christianity is true, many of them, and theirs is false. Allah? What is Allah? What book is Allah written? And, and Where's the prophecies? Where's all these things? Only God. Only God's the one true living God. We understand that, but most of the world does not. Son of man, verse 2, set thy face... And this will be the arch enemy Gog. So we have Almighty God, arch enemy Gog. Set thy face against Gog or Gog. I guess we really want to pronounce it the Hebrew way. And Magog. But I'm going to stick with the short O, Gog and Magog. The prince, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, Tuval, and prophesy against them. Now, if you are thinking, perhaps you have studied and you are trying, maybe someone's trying to persuade you into a preterist theology. Preterism believes that in 70 A.D., when Israel was thwarted and, Israel and Jerusalem was crushed, the Romans crushed them, and that ended, really, Israel's history as a nation, if you believe in preteristic theology. And that now every, the church has replaced Israel, and everything future is just for the church. Read Isaiah 54. Read the Scripture. Israel is still God's chosen people, and God still has a great plan for them. Matter of fact, the three big wars here in Ezekiel 38... The battle of Armageddon, which people say, oh, it's the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. It's the end of the tribulation and the end of the 70th week of Daniel, but far from the end of the world. Go to 2 Peter for that. If you want the end of this world as it is now, if you want the end of the eternal order, there is none. It's called the eternal order, and the new heavens and new earth last forever. But people have this. If you ask them one question, they know two things. They know the word Armageddon and 666. Ooh, and people at the bank, even if you say 666, oh, i got to change that number. I don't want, ooh, that's, that's, that's a scary number. Well, if you're without Christ, you should be scared, even today. But the 666, by the way, does not show up now because we are waiting for the Antichrist. 
we are waiting for Christ to return. The world is waiting for the Antichrist, and the Antichrist must be on the scene to have his own number. And he's not revealed in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 until the who prevents is taken out of the way. I think that refers to the church. The church is gone, and then Antichrist can come on the scene. Can you imagine America? If there's 50, 70 million truly born again, let's just if there's a 30, 35, if there's 20 truly, if there's 15 truly born again, you say, Pastor, you just, Tozer said only 2% of the church in America is truly born again. 2% of the church. I think, I'm hoping it's certainly higher here at Little Sandy Baptist Church. I would like for it to be a 100%. I'm naive, naive if I think that everybody who comes through our doors is truly born again. And if you do not know Christ as your Savior, or you're just, you're just 5% not sure, get that settled today. That you, you can know. You can know that Christ is your Savior. And you're going to feel sometimes like you're not saved. And sometimes you're going to feel like I'm walking with the Lord. And sometimes you get but it's not feeling based. It's not experientially based. It's based upon God's word that you may know. Have you done what he has asked? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's that call. It's not confessing. It's the repentance. But pastor, what am I repenting from? The sin that you're born with. Inherited. And I believe I will be responsible for my sin. I'm, it's my sin. That's why I believe in the age of accountability. When you realize for the very first time, perhaps, that as a child, I have sinned. And I need Christ as Savior. My, my daughter, my granddaughter said to me, said to us a few weeks ago after she was telling us how she got saved, she said, and I, my teacher told me if I wasn't saved and Jesus comes back, I'm not going with mommy. She knew that much as a five-year-old. I'm telling you, you need to know Christ as Savior now. Just heard about this morning how over in Ohio, a friend of one of our church members lost their grandson about five days ago in an accident, a high school grandson, I think it was. You need to be ready now. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So the three battles, Gog and Magog here, the battle of Armageddon in Revelation 16, and the final battle in Revelation 20, at the end of a thousand years, Satan comes back and, and gathers a big bunch of people, and they surround Jerusalem once more, and the fire of God shoom, comes down from heaven. Satan's finally cast into the where? Lake of fire, Gehenna. Never ending. That Gog and Magog is different from the one here in our text. So after the rapture, probably before I think the Antichrist signs his treaty, covenant with Israel, I think this is where we go. I'm going to put it there. And so you can find other people who might put it elsewhere. But I don't think you can put it anywhere past the beginning of the tribulation because I cannot see all these things burying the dead uh, for seven months and burning all these weapons on into the millennial reign of Christ. But if you want to, you certainly, it's not something to fall out over if you see a different, but I see it between, personally, the rapture and the beginning of the tribulation. So there we are. They're going to rebuild the temple. That's going to be an amazing thing. But it's built not in belief. Jewish people are going to build the temple, the third temple, in unbelief. We find then in our text that uh, there's going to be this group that comes together, and we look at 39, verse 9, we see there's going to be an, an ideal environment, I believe, if you think about the world now, the Christians are gone, 
the Antichrist is trying to get in power. And 39.9, it says for us here, and, and they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers and the bows and the arrows and the handstaves and the spears, and they shall burn them with fire seven years. But can you imagine the, 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 what's going to be like when the rapture happens and, and all the babies are gone? There's a person being operated on the operating table and shoom, they're gone and and the surgeon's got to go, where did they go? All the pregnant mothers, children, where are they going to? What's happening? Can you imagine the chaos that's going to happen? And perhaps right then, Russia's going to say, let's go down into Israel. We find there's going to be a time of great uh, problematic things going on at, during this trip, uh, the prelude to the tribulation. We find then in verse back over to our text, the Almighty God, the word of the Lord came, and we have the arch enemy Gog, who in verse 2 comes on the scene against Gog, the land of Magog. Now, why are there so many different names? We would call them weird names in our day and age, but in Bible times, when Ezekiel was writing, the people of Israel would go back to Genesis chapter 10. Shall we go there for just a moment? Let's shall for just a moment, please. Genesis chapter 10, we call it the table of nations, but names have changed. By the way, a constant noble was first called Byzantium, and now it is called uh, Istanbul. Istanbul. So names change. Genesis chapter 10, look at, at 2 and 3. And here's where these names are coming from. 2 and 3. And the sons of Japheth. Now who is Japheth? Son of Noah. Thank you very much. Uh, Jape, and uh, didn't mean to sound like Elvis, sorry. Uh, sons of Japheth, Gomer, and Magog, and Madai, and Javan, and Tubal, and Meshach, and Tiras. And the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, and Ripeth, and Togarma. I went that far because those are the two of the names that we have right here in our text. Look at chapter 10, verse 6. And the sons of Ham, Cush, and Mizraim, and Put, Libya, and Canaan. And then we go over to chapter 10, verse 22. And the children of Shem, Elam, and Asher, and Arphaxad, and Lud, and Aram, etc., etc., etc. So you wonder where these names in Ezekiel chapter 30 are coming from. They're coming from the ethnicities that God has clearly pointed out from the three gentlemen that walked off the ark besides Noah and his wife. And from those three, entire mankind has come. And so it's not so much about the cities as it is about the ethnicities, where do, those peop- where do the people inhabiting the country now, where did they come from? I'm telling you, I think everybody in Ohio came from Kentucky at some point or another. Uh, here, well, they came up from Kentucky sometime. Now, I've lived in Ohio, so I guess I can say that. Well, I actually was raised in Kentucky. Now, I was, honestly, though, I was born in Ohio, Ohioites. I was born in Ohio, raised in Kentucky. But I can't believe that everybody on that side of the river has come from here. It just doesn't make sense. And so, but it's never they come over to here. But uh, anyway, here we are. Where do these people come from? They come from this Genesis chapter 10, the table of nations. Astana and Kazakhstan is famous because its name has been changed the most of any city in modern history. I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a movement afoot to change Greenup. I think we're just going to keep being Greenup and Saddleville and Wheelersburg, etc. and McDermott and wherever else, Iceland, wherever else you live, Russell. We find then, these are the nations, the ethnicities, the table of nations, if you would. You might find a particular 
ethnicity within just one boundary, or they may have spread abroad uh, to other areas. Now, Ezekiel is going to use this table of nations, and the people of the reader, this would understand, the Jewish people would under-recognize where these people had come from. So we find that this, these, this Magog is probably refers to the Scythian race or nation or ethnicity of people, and they're the ones who settled in Russia, the Scythians who lived what we call in Russia and represent the uh, underbody of the USR, which would be the Stan nations, the Kazakhstan, the Uzbekistan, Afghanistan perhaps even, but that's all part, if you look on your map, handy, dandy handout map, you'll see all part of that. Rosh being Russia, Magog being the underbody, if you would, of the former USSR. And they're all that from this table of nations, people here, Gog and Magog. Now, Gog is, is a person. It's like a czar. It's like a pharaoh, like a president. It is not a proper name like Fred Gog, John Gog, Barney Gog, uh, Vladimir Gog, Constantino Gog, except there was one proper name that evidently passed the mark. That was May, because we have May Gog in our text. But that's not really a proper name. It's, it's a czar. It's a president. That's what it is. And so we need someone to, as we're back in Ezekiel 38, to be the leader of this confederacy. And I can tell you right now, if I had to pick one in the world, there's one alive today. Not sure how much longer he's going to be alive, but he's alive today. Vladimir Putin would be that person who is leader of the Russian Confederacy. And he has, obviously, he has his eye set probably on a lot of things other than just Ukraine. And if he could get the backing and there wasn't all the turmoil in his own nation, etc., uh, and had an army that was more whatever, etc., perhaps it was just, just a precursor, perhaps, to what we see here in Ezekiel 38. 38.3. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog. That is Adonai, Lord, small letters, capital L, small case, O-R-D. Adonai, capital G, capital O, capital D, Yahweh. So I am against thee. Yahweh is against thee, O Gog. And he's not in favor. So it's all these people are going to gather together and they're going to mount up a huge war and they're going to gather this, the army on horseback, on, on horses, etc., with swords and staves and spears and all these things and they're going to come forward. You say, but Pastor Tim, is it only because Ezekiel didn't know about tanks and drones and artillery and battleships and aircraft carriers? I'm not sure it'd be applicable for him anyway, but is it only because he didn't know those terms? Is that why he's using horses and the horses and the horsemen are simply figurative of what's really going to happen, but really is going to be tanks and all those things? Well, the principle of scripture is if the normal sense makes good sense, seek no other sense, otherwise it's nonsense. So if this is possible, is it possible there's going to be a battle with horses? Yes. How, why would that happen now? How about one of those bombs that, that just demolishes all your electronics? Perhaps Russia has, and by the way, Russia has like 1.3 million horses. Horses are still a part of the Russian economy even today. I told you that last week. There are a lot of horses in other nations around. They can come in forward and perhaps they want the ground assault. Perhaps, perhaps Israel doesn't have that. Haven't they already lost a little bit some of that system that protects them from the planes already, some of that uh, system? I was reading where they was going to have a display of it in Dubai about two or three weeks ago, and they had to cancel the conference because they actually needed the actual system over in Israel to protect them from the airplanes and drones. Perhaps that's all been neutralized. And so now they're coming on horseback. And in case you're wondering there, it says all of them come. 
in 38. At first time it says they come just on horseback. <laughs> Verse 4, army of horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts, etc. And you look in 13, however, though, 15, sorry, 38, 15, and thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts, thou and many people with thee, all of them riding upon horses. A great company and a mighty army. And they're going to cover the land as, uh, it doesn't say as grasshoppers, but that's the idea. They're going to be everywhere. They're, they're going to be just a strong army. Uh, by the way, Israel has faced insurmountable odds before, and God has delivered them. This is going to be so great that even the Israeli army is not going to be able to win on their own because God's going to do it, and he's going to do it a miraculous way. And so the world, I love that last part of verse 16, the heathen may know. When I shall be sanctified in thee, O Gog, before their eyes. Verse 23, 22. And I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood, and I will rain upon him, upon his bands, and upon many people that are with him, and overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself. And I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. You, you want to know why he's going to do it that way? It's sort of like there was a, a gentleman uh, in the Judges era, and he had 32,000 men came to have an army. That's just too many. Have do this test. And after the first test, 10,000. The first test was go home. If you're, if you're nervous, go home. I, was, I went the first test, first time. 10,000 were left. Have them drink water out of the stream. And the ones that do it this way, keep them out of 10,000 only 300. You're going to battle this huge army of Midianites with only 300 people. Yes, why? Pitchers and lamps, not even 30 sixes and bazookas and all these. There was none of that. It was pitchers and lamps and a loud mouth. Now, very rarely does a loud mouth get you in a good place, but this was one time a loud mouth was called for. I really don't care much for loud mouth, period, my own especially. But this time, in Judges, it was called for. Now, please tell me. I know you know the answer. And if you don't know the answer, it's going, I, I know you know the answer. Why? God would show his glory. Thank you. There was no doubt if 300 people without raising a sword could rout. All I can tell you what is it's God did it. God did it. There's no answer. There's no answer for this either. And there's no answer for you either but God. If you want eternal life, if you wish to live forever. I was reading, before I pray, I was reading from this devotional I'd mentioned earlier on this past week on Saturday. That was yesterday. In the third century, Cyprian, the bishop of Carthage, wrote to his friend Donatus. Cyprian says, It is a bad world, Donatus. Incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and good people who have learned the great secret of life. They have found a joy and wisdom which is a thousand times better than any of the pleasures of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are the masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people, Donatus, are Christians, and I am one of them. So I ask you before I pray, do you have the joy of the Lord in your life? 
I care not what's going on around you. These people are suffering persecution. Had the joy of the Lord. If you do not have that joy, would you get that settled this morning? Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your word, for the clarity of it. I'm thankful for eternal life that is found in the person of Christ. Lord, the default position of every human being, having been born into the world and reached the age of accountability and knowingly rejecting Christ, I think perhaps that even that very first time, the knowing the default position of the unbeliever is life in hell, lake of fire forever. But Lord, you came. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not do what? Perish, but have everlasting life. I mean, Heavenly Father, if there is even one, just one or two or more or several who do not have that assurance of salvation, may today be the day of salvation for them. They get it settled once and for all. They can know. We can know based upon your word, based upon repentance and faith that you are our Savior. So we're working our hearts and lives as you see fit. May we respond in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.